your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Good snap to him. Hangs one up. This is a pretty good kick. Spielman drifting over. Makes a backpedaling catch of the 25. Eludes a tackler. He's got some room. 25, 30, 35, 40. Cutting back to the midfield. He's down the near sideline of the 40. 35, 30, 25, 40, 15, 10, 5. Touchdown, J.D. Spielman from 75 yards. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Ben McLaughlin and Nate Rohr. Good evening. Welcome in the Friday night before the Huskers take on the Buffaloes, the back end of that two-game non-conference series. And as Brett said a moment ago, our pregame coverage begins at 9.30 Central Time here on the Husker Sports Network with the opening drive as we lead you up to the 2.30 Central kickoff. The 25th-ranked Nebraska Cornhuskers against the Colorado Buffaloes heading out to Folsom Field for the first time since 2009 and trying to avenge last year's five-point loss to the Buffs at Memorial Stadium. Good evening. I'm Nate Rohr. We'll hear from Ben McLaughlin and Greg Sharp later on tonight here on Sports Nightly as we get set for the matchup between the Huskers and the Buffs tomorrow. The team landed about 20 minutes ago. The flight from Lincoln to Denver was delayed. We just had a severe weather system pass through the Denver area. Uh, I am actually near the Denver International Airport. We'll hear from Ben and Greg from near Boulder, but about a half hour ago or so, it really clouded up, got dark, and we had some severe weather pass through the area. So if you're one of the many Husker fans that is making the trip west and maybe you're into sort of the final stages of your travel, you might want to wait a little bit because some severe weather has just passed through Denver. And so if you're in the final stages of your trip, maybe you might want to wait it out. It looks like the path on I-80 from Omaha and Lincoln all the way to the state border is clear, but some weather passing through the Denver area and northeastern Colorado tonight. Nebraska struggled last week on offense, and one of the big focal points of the, the discussion during the week was the struggle of the offensive line as they had difficulty moving South Alabama and opening up running lanes. And one of the guys hoping to show out a little better in this matchup with Colorado is, is right tackle and co-captain Matt Farniak and had a chance to sat down uh, to sit down with Matt this week. And my first question to him was, what did he take away from watching the film from that first game against South Alabama? Um, just we got to execute. I mean, what it came down to is, I mean, guys were flying around trying to do the right thing. It was just we weren't quite clicking. We weren't quite right on our assignments and how we were supposed to execute our assignments. And so all it is is just, it's just, it, it's it's now we got to really just truly really clean up the little things. It's just no one needs to be taught effort or what they're doing. It's just, it just needs to be the little things that need to be cleaned up. Being one of the leaders of this team, being a captain of the team, uh, what was different for you in that first game? Did you feel like anything was terribly different from how you would normally do things? Honestly, I felt really everything was the same. I mean, like it's, it's a huge honor to be rewarded by my teammates for this role. 
But I mean, I'm still I'm still the same person. I'm gonna teach. I'm gonna try and teach everyone I can. I'm gonna try and be best person I can, and I'm gonna make sure that we keep heading this in the right direction. I mean, I um, I'm in a new role, but who I am and what I'm gonna be doesn't change, and I think I stayed true to that. Talking about that first game, of course, the offense had their had their struggles, and you mentioned execution is the big point now. How much of that is is just sort of the first game jitters, getting settled in, uh, working with each other, and and actually getting out there on the field together against somebody else and and working against somebody else. I think it played a big role. Um, we had a we had a decent amount of new guys out there. And um, it was just we didn't quite get our flow going. And when we did, we did something that would uh, hurt us and put us, put us um, just take us out of our flow. And, I mean, there was glimpses of that game where we got things rolling and then we'd mess up something and then it kind of got it got bumpy again. And, I mean, a lot of it, I think that's the first game cleanup. I mean, we made a lot of mistakes. We made mistakes that we really don't – we didn't really ever make. But now we got them, we can see them, and we can learn from it. We've learned what it's like in the game. We've learned how to play. And, I mean, it's just it's clean-up time right now and just get ready to fly around. Chatting with Matt Forniak here on Sports Nightly. You guys have had an opportunity this week to look at Colorado, and they have a new head coach as you get ready for the Buffs this year. How different is the picture they're putting out there this year as opposed to what you saw from them last year? Um, honestly, I'd say they're still pretty similar. I mean, they've only played one game this year, but, I mean, they're obviously a solid team. Um, they got their got they they got uh, good players on their team, so I mean, it's going to be a fight and it's going to be a battle, and uh, we're just really looking forward to it. You guys get to go out to Folsom Field, which can be a, a, a pretty hostile environment. Of course, you've seen hostile environments throughout your Husker career, but uh, what have you heard about Folsom Field and going out there to play? Um, really, I've just heard that they're kind of rowdy, and I'm looking forward to it. That's really all I've heard is that they're kind of a rowdy crowd and. Um, let's see if it stays true. And the talk has been that a lot of Husker fans are going to make that trip. When you see somebody else's building get full of red, how, how much of a boost is that to you guys? I mean, I think it's really cool because I, I truly believe that we have some of the best fans in the country. And, I mean, almost every game anywhere in this country that we go and play, I mean, if uh, if the other team doesn't, fans don't show up, I mean, it almost seems like it's going to be a home game for us, which is, I think, pretty unique and special. And, I mean, it's just a tip of the hat to our fans because, I mean, they're just great. Looking back on, on the season opener against South Alabama, the offense had their troubles, but yet the defense came up big. Two scores by the defense, a special team score. Uh, you know, last year the defense had their difficulty, especially early in the year. Uh, how How much... How happy are you for those guys that they've been able to contribute like that through one game? Oh, I love it. I mean, I mean, they're my brothers, they're my teammates. Yeah, we we fight against each other in practice, but I mean, at the end of the day, we want to see everyone succeed. We want to see everyone thrive. So, I mean, just when when they score, it's a reflection on us. I mean, it's a reflection to our young guys giving them good looks. It's a reflection of just them busting their tail and just working as hard as they can, trying to do the right things in practice. And I mean, the fruits of your labor will show. I mean. You reap what you sow. So I mean, they 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 were working like extremely hard all week, and I mean, the production showed. And I mean, I'm just ecstatic for them because I know, I know they're nowhere near satisfied, and they're only going to keep getting better. So I can't wait to keep watching them uh, become the defense that they should be. The defense was getting some plaudits throughout preseason camp, so I can't imagine it was too big a surprise from what you saw uh, from them against South Alabama. 
Um, no, I mean, I like I, I knew we had some really good players and really good dudes, and I mean, they they, they just they really want it. They want it, and it's not just we're not we're not really making these dumb mistakes that we were making last year. I mean, we're starting to become a flying around fast and smart team as well. And I mean, when you get those three things going together and get those things clicking right, I mean, any defense that can do those three things is going to be a pretty tough defense to play to make really good plays. So I mean, I'm ecstatic for them. I mean. They're my boys. They're my guys. And every time that they succeed, I, I just get ecstatic because, I mean, that's what we want. We want everyone in this family to thrive, to succeed, to be the best man that they can be. And, I mean, when you see someone do that, you just you can't help but get excited. Chatting with Matt Forniak here on Sports Nightly, you mentioned the word family. Well, a member of your family was on the offense with you. Your brother Will played basically the entire second half at center. Uh, first off, what did it mean to get him out there for so many snaps and play together with him? I mean, I was just excited. I mean, he got his first little taste of uh, college football, and I mean, uh, it's just it's unique. I mean. I know the Darians and uh, the Davis brothers and the Daniels, I mean, they get a taste of it as well. And I think um, they can attest to it too. When you get a step out there with the true, like your younger brother or older brother, it's unique because, I mean, it, it doesn't really happen that often. It's very rare, I think, at this level to have it happen. So when, when he got his chance, I think he did a good job. And uh, I just want to keep seeing him growing and keep getting success. As you guys watched the film, were you, were you locking in on him even more than maybe yourself as, as you guys went back to the film earlier this week? Uh, I, I peeked in there a little bit to see how he was doing, of course. I mean, can't help it. I do that, I do that with really all the guys. Because I mean, like I was saying earlier, I want, I want everyone to be successful. I want everyone to thrive. I mean, we can't win if just one guy does the right thing. We need 11 guys. We need all five old linemen. We need the running back, the quarterback, wide receivers. We need everyone locked in doing the right thing. So, I mean, it's hard when you're watching film to really, for me, to just lock in on myself because I'm like, come on, like, what, what are we doing? Like, let's get this right. Or, like, well, like, I'll see, like, Trent or Hymas or Bo and, or one of them. They'll make a great point. I'm like, yes, like, like yes. <laughs> like, like, they've done that in practice. Like, yes, they're, like – I just I, I love seeing when my brother succeed. That's all I want is like when I see when I see them succeed, I feel like I succeeded as well. I mean, there's there's just it's a give and take. I mean, when they fail, we all fail. Mm-hmm. When I fail, we all fail. And so I mean, it's all about like we're in this together. Win, lose, tie, whatever we do, we're all in this together. Finally, the Colorado game from last year, you guys losing a heartbreaker. Has that been a topic of conversation with you guys this week, or is it something that you just kind of pass off and lock in on, on their 11Xs versus your 11Os? I mean, really, it's just been like uh, what happened last year happened last year, and um, now let's just get ready to work. You can't change the past. I mean, that, that game's etched in time. You can't change it. It is what it is. Now it's what's this year? Uh, how are we going to be this year? And it's really just like let's get ready to work. Let's get ready to fight because we know it's going to be a battle. Going to be a fun battle to see. Thanks so much for giving us some time before it. Oh, yeah. Thanks for having me. We go to the Woodhouse Auto Family Hotline to check in with the Omaha World Herald's Evan Bland. And, Evan, thanks for coming on tonight. First off, uh, are you out here in Colorado or still making your way out? Hey, Nate, yeah, uh, checked into the hotel just, a, a, I think, 10 miles or so from Folsom Field, and the rain's coming down. We're, we're ready for some football tomorrow. 
Yeah, a little uh, little better trip in than the uh, team had, apparently. It was a bit of a rough flight for the guys as they made their way in, huh? Yeah, it sounded like uh, even out of Omaha, there was maybe a flight canceled, too. So, uh, you know, we, we didn't have too many problems. Saw a lot of storms uh, in the mountains off to the distance, but, uh, you know, it wasn't too bad. And, and I, I think for the weekend, it's supposed to be a little better than it was even forecast to be a couple days ago. Well, hopefully the weather holds up for this one. Uh, speaking of turbulence, let's talk about this Husker offense. Nebraska struggled <laughs> offensively in the game with South Alabama. Uh, how, how do you assess it? Do you see it as kind of a, a rough day at the office for not just Adrian Martinez, not just the offensive line, but for a few people concurrently, or is this a, a issue of concern for you? Well, you know, I think, first of all, I was – that day to me serves as a big reminder about how this offense works and how there are so many moving pieces, perhaps more than, than other offenses where everything has to be in sync. And, and as we saw on Saturday, that starts with the snap. You can't be having your quarterback jumping up for, for the, you know, catching the football before he can start to read a defense. You need your, your line to be blocking. Well, uh, you know, you need your quarterback to be seeing the correct reads and, and having his eyes in the right places and, and finding the open man. So I think there were different parts of that South Alabama game where not all of those pieces um, were connected. And, then I, you know, I, I think the other real interesting piece for me was on Wednesday when offensive coordinator Troy Walters and a lot of the other coaches came out and said, you know, they felt like there was too much of a playbook or too much uh, was put in that was new for the team into that South Alabama game. And, and, you know, while they didn't maybe show too much in that contest, they had prepared for a lot. And they said that, you know, there was that temptation since it's the first game of the year to maybe start that install a few days earlier than they would typically in the, in the routine and rhythm of the season. So, you know, I, I would expect that with that slim down playbook that they will execute better. There was a lot of talk about what they did in practice and how that was a, a more detailed and rhythmic week for that unit uh, than the team certainly saw last week, which coincided with the first week of school. Um, you know, and again, I think we have to remember that while Adrian Martinez is back, there are a lot of new pieces to this thing. It was Wondell Robinson's first college game. You know, Maurice Washington, uh, that situation hadn't really resolved itself until toward the end of the week, uh, you know, obviously Cam Jurgens and Will Farniak had never started a game at center at the collegiate level before. So I think there were just a lot of pieces to where guys had to figure things out. And I really think it comes down to, uh, you know, taking that big jump from, from the first game to the second game. And Nebraska didn't get that benefit last year with the Akron being canceled. So, you know, I would expect them to take a pretty big jump uh, here in week two. And, and a lot of the track record of Adrian Martinez and this coaching staff would probably indicate that this offense will be okay. You mentioned it was our first chance to get a look at Wandale Robinson, and uh, he had seven touches in the game. Did he match up to the expectations you had for him in your first look? Well, you know, I, I think so. I, I think, you know, in hearing the coaches and players talk, they felt like it's, it's kind of that second half played out in kind of a weird fashion with not a ton of snaps, you know, they wished they could have gotten him the ball more, but I, I absolutely think in the touches that he got, you could tell um, why he was so highly recruited, you know, why his recruiting process uh, really played out over a long period of time with a lot of high end programs chasing after his services. I mean, he has 
uh, a certain burst to him. He has a versatility uh, that you don't see a lot at the college level. Someone who can, again, line up in the backfield the way that he did early in the game, who can split out wide and be a playmaker in both of those facets, do so in that in your first game as a true freshman too. So, you know, you're talking a lot of mental ability. Uh, you know, he trained with his dad in high school. His dad is uh, a trainer. And so, you know, Wondell Robinson's further along physically than a lot of true freshmen are as well. Um, and I, and I, I think I would count him in that group uh, pretty much with the rest of the offense that would say, man, if, if he can get on the same page, uh, you know, with his quarterback and with the rest of this unit in week two, you know, it, it could be a big week for him because he, he probably should have had a touchdown in the opener. You know, Adrian just maybe didn't see him over the middle on uh, on one of those plays, but uh, I, I would absolutely count him among the, the most likely candidates to bust out up uh, here in the mountains this weekend. Chatting with Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald as we get ready for the Huskers against Colorado tomorrow. Uh, talking quite a bit about the struggles on offense, but it was a banner day for the defense. Two defensive touchdowns. They were able to take the ball away. How close was that performance and what we saw, yes, against South Alabama, a lesser opponent, but how close is what you saw Saturday to sort of the ideal vision of the Nebraska defense under Eric Chenander? Yeah, you know, I think it's pretty close. They'll, they'll take five takeaways any week if they can limit opponents' ground game the way that they did. You know, again, it's a Sunbelt team, but if they, they, had to, they did what they had to do, and, and I think those are two key components you know, he talks, Eric Chenander does, uh, about his offense being known for takeaways and being known for TFLs, tackles for loss. And Nebraska did well on both of those fronts on Saturday. I think, to me, the most encouraging part about this being sustainable was the depth that they showed. I mean, Nebraska rotated six defensive linemen very consistently, pretty even snaps throughout. Uh, and you would expect that to continue. That's going to be important as they get into league play and, and to bigger opponents like this weekend. Uh, you know, the secondary showed it too. I mean, Deontay Williams goes down with an injury and, and boom, you know, Eli Sullivan comes in and as a walk-on and makes some big plays or Markel Dismuke steps up or Eric Lee, obviously pressed into duty, has a huge day. So, you know, I like the depth there and even at the linebacker positions, which I know the coaches would like to continue to recruit and maybe add some depth there. But, you know, particularly at those inside spots, you know, Will Honus, Mo Berry, and Colin Miller, while being able to, to share that load together. And then on the outside, Jojo Doman wasn't a, wasn't a starter in the game, but he was maybe one of the, the biggest impact players at that position. So that, that to me is the encouraging part is that this team has a lot of uh, upper class. They have a lot of leaders, a lot of bodies that can go out there and, and execute this over the course of a long season. And, uh, you know, I think this week's going to be a huge test with Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault. I mean, two of the, uh, maybe one of the better quarterback receiver duos this team's going to see all season. And I think you're going to need that depth and they're going to have that confidence going in. And I think it's going to be a lot of fun to see how they fare. You mentioned LaVisca Chenault. Of course, he was the driving force uh, of the victory last year for Colorado at Nebraska. How does the defensive game plan look against him? How do you expect the Huskers to try and slow him down? Right. Well, it's going to be a great game of cat and mouse. I mean, I think Eric Chenander put it really well this week when he said it's it's essentially a game of where's Waldo. I mean, they have to know where he is at all times because he's such a, a versatile player, not all that unlike a Wondell Robinson, you know, somebody who can, again, line up in the backfield, split out wide, 
go on the slot. You know, they've <laughs> they've used him in certain tight end looks over the course of his career too. So, you know, I, I don't know that you can necessarily game plan one specific way. I mean, you, you just have to know where he is, who's taking him on a given play. Um, and, and I think the tough part is that Colorado does have some depth at that position too. You know, it's not just him. They have, <clears throat> excuse me, multiple receivers. Steven Montez is a is an experienced quarterback who's going to, you know, presumably find the open man if Nebraska uh, deems it necessary to pull team Chenault. But I think to me it comes down to that matchup in the secondary. And, you know, are you, if you're Nebraska, confident in putting a bar or DiCaprio Boodle on him, uh, you know, one-on-one, or how much help uh, you're going to have to provide if he's going on some longer routes or some post routes, things of that nature. Um but, you know, I think it comes down, and Nebraska's defense has said this before, they're at their best when they communicate. And I think with a player like Chenault on the other side, that's going to be the key to Nebraska, if not stopping him, then at least containing him in this one. Kind of the 30,000-foot view of this game, of course, you know, it's a non-conference game. Nebraska's not one on the road uh, in seven road games. How important is this game for Scott Frost's rebuilding project? Right. I mean, it's, it's a huge game. Uh, I was talking about this with my colleagues on the drive up. You know, if if Nebraska wins this game, I mean, you're you're on track with all the, the off-season hype. You know, you're you're really starting to uh, gain that momentum. You're starting to think that maybe that 4-0 start when Ohio State comes to town is a possibility. Uh, it's big for recruiting. You know, I had a piece this week kind of looking at just the fact, one, that Nebraska has more Coloradans uh, on its roster than from any other state outside of Nebraska. Uh, they're in some recruiting battles for some of these players. It's, it's a state known for its offensive linemen uh, in large part. So there's there's value in that. Um, you know, and, and if they don't win, like like you mentioned, it's not a conference game. It, it ultimately doesn't take away from their goal of contending in the Big Ten West. Um, but I, I think if, if they were to lose, it would matter to me how they lose. I think if the offense struggles again, uh, that's, you know, it, you got to start asking some questions at that point. At, at that point, it's not maybe a, a one-game fluke like it could have been last, last week. But, you know, if it comes down to turnovers um, or a couple big plays or things of that nature, I think Nebraska fans could live with it if they continue to see that progress. Um, but absolutely, a, you know, a win this weekend keeps them right on track for a, a really strong start. And, um, you know, as Scott Frost said, oftentimes when you're building that culture, you need that reinforcement, those wins, to, to really kind of set that foundation and then help players take that next step and continue to – to buy in and, and take it to that next level. So I, I think there's a lot on the line this weekend for Nebraska. Should be an interesting game. Should be a fun battle. And, uh, Evan, we look forward to what you have to say after it. Evan Bland of the Omaha World Herald taking some time to join us here on a Friday night before the Huskers and the Buffs. Evan, enjoy the game, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow at uh, Folsom Field. You got it, Nate. Thanks for having me. Sports Nightly Friday Night Edition continuing right along and for the first time here in 2019, NFL Talk here on the program and happy to welcome back for another season with us Ian Rappaport from the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, it's back, man. First game last night. Bears-Packers didn't get much better than that. The game was pretty low scoring, but just felt good to have football back on the TV again. I need to say, I, I know was, people talk about an ugly game. I kind of liked it. You know, like it was gritty. It was tough. It was all defense, uh, and, and I think, you know, 
I'm sure the Bears are going to be talking about how what they didn't do offensively, and I'm sure the Packers are going to talk about what they didn't do offensively. I really liked what those two defenses did. Like, I think the Packers' defense is going to be legit. I mean, they are big. Um, they are fast. They are physical. Um, they all of a sudden have a pretty complete team. And, um, I mean, I, that was that was a pretty solid announcement for new coach uh, Matt LaFleur. I'll, I'll tell you that. And, you know, the only other thing right now is, is – what is gonna? What are we gonna make of Mitchell Trubisky uh, getting booed in the opener? That is that is certainly something that's gonna probably stick with him. Yeah, no question about it. Well, I'd love to get into more of the matchups and kind of season highlights, but you know, this is we've got a lot of uh, housekeeping yeah. items to keep yeah. up with before yeah. we before we get there. Um, let's just start with Antonio Brown, I suppose. More coming out on that story today. You were all over it yesterday. I guess what happened and where are they right now? So last night when everybody went to bed, um, the plan was for uh, Antonio Brown to not play on Monday night. That was what Gruden said. They're basically going to be game planning without him. Then he gets to the facility today. He issues an apology. He talks to the team. He indicates how sorry he is about everything. And then it looks like now not only is he not going to be suspended, but he may actually play. I mean, it is an incredible turn of events. Um, I think for – for most people, for for fantasy, if you have him, this probably drives you crazy. Hopefully, everyone uh, you know took him where they should have taken him anyway. But man, this is just you know it, it really does in Oakland make you wonder like what actually really is going on and and who's going to kind of stand up and take some responsibility. The thing that's making it even more weird for me is I'm late on Hard Knocks, so I'm literally watching Hard Knocks as all this is going on. Uh, it, what what is the relationship like with with Mike Mayock with Coach Gruden and and kind of these players and you bring in the star like Antonio Brown? I, I mean, Mike Mayock couldn't have expected any of this when he took over. What is what is his role in all this? And how how do you suppose he, he is going to start handling things like this? Because this is I mean this is this is unprecedented. Well, I think he tried. You know the the uh, explanation I received was that you know basically it was John Gruden who was kind of trying to put Humpty Dumpty back together again is, is the description I got, which probably about right. Honestly, um, I think that was about right. And, and, you know, um, there's, you can, you know, talk about, you can talk about a player, you can say you want to discipline him, you can threaten him, but actually doing it is certainly uh, a different story. And, you know, the Raiders seems to have uh, reversed themselves on this already. For Oakland, assuming Antonio Brown plays, will, will it be worth it with his feet, with the helmet, with the, the post on Instagram, with the apology? I mean, is, the, is he worth the trouble on the field for this franchise? I mean, I hate to say it, but probably, yeah. You know, and the world is different for great players. You know, A.B. gets the kind of things that most people don't get because he's so good. You know, the comparison to me that I think of is, you know, Randy Moss, um, you know, when he was, was with the Patriots and then he got cut and he was with the Titans, he was with the, the Vikings and he insulted the um, the post-game spread and then he got cut. But he was at the end of his career. The difference with A.B. is he is still in the prime of his career. He is still a great, great player. And you get a lot of chances when you're a great player. And my guess is he's going to probably end up being pretty good. 
It's definitely been a, a bizarre offseason for the AFC West with the, me being a Chiefs fan with the Tyreek Hill situation. Well, let's just stay in the division and go to a team that you really liked last year, and that was the Chargers. What's the update on the Melvin Gordon situation? Well, he's obviously not going to play on Sunday. And, you know, you're, you're looking at their star running back, one of their best players, not being there. And, you know, we'll see how long he ends up being out. But obviously it's a situation where you just cannot count on him actually playing for them for a while. And, you know, he held firm on his plans, um, you know, to, to stay away. His holdout is firm. And... You know, they're, they are confident in the running backs they have, and we're going to see how confident they really are because those guys are really going to play and play a lot early on. And, you know, if, if they struggle and really come out of the gate, maybe things change. But the real problem is what if they're good? Because for Melvin Gordon, that would be bad news. Yeah, absolutely. Talking with Ian Rappaport from NFL Network and NFL.com. Well, let's, I suppose, just stay in the AFC West and talk about the Chiefs and Tyreek Hill signed a massive extension today, three years, $54 million uh, with the offseason they had. What's been the reaction amongst your colleagues about this story? Because they're having a hard time finding out what actually happened in his case, and obviously no discipline handed down there. But uh, what's been the fallout just from people around the league about the Chiefs and Tyreek Hill? Well, you know, he was not charged, um, and the Chiefs kind of have stuck by stuck by him the whole way. You know, they thought that uh, he was going to end that this was going to end up happening. This was their read on the situation that you know Tyreek Hill would end up not being charged, not being disciplined by the NFL, able to play, and all of that. Um, so, I, you know, I, I would say, um, you know, I, I would say that they are sort of rewarded for that for better or worse, by sticking by their guy. But also, in this deal, there is pretty, from what I understand, pretty strong indications that the team could uh, protect themselves if something bad happens uh, with his, you know, with his off-the-field situation. We just talked about one team in L.A. with the Chargers. Let's go to the other one next, the, the team that was in the Super Bowl last year, the Rams. Uh, what, let's, let's talk about the circumstances around Todd Gurley with his knee. I know Coach McVay came out and said he's feeling great and, and they're not going to necessarily have you know, a carry limit for him. But what's best-case scenario for L.A.? And you know, even with Todd Gurley talking about their defense and, and, and poised to make another run, what, what do you make of L.A. and the camp that they had? Well, I think they're similar to last year. You know, like I don't know about, you know, Super Bowl hangover and, you know, all of that, but uh, at the very least, um, you know, at, at the very least, um, they bring back the same guys. And I think with Gurley, you know, they ran him into the ground last year. They gave him a ton of carries early, a lot of catches. I mean, they, they played him a ton. What's going to be different this year is they are not going to play him as much. They're going to make sure that in December that he is make sure in December that he is ready um, and January that he is ready. So, you know, I think that's probably the biggest difference. We all going to focus on the injury. I would focus more on how they're actually going to use him and, and whether or not they're going to make sure, um, you know, whether make sure that he's ready when it counts the most. We, I think this is the fifth year we've had you on, uh, maybe more than that. And every year we kind of make a mockery of Cleveland, and we didn't ever see uh, them turning that franchise around. Yet here we are, one of the favorites in the, in the AFC. Uh, finally, all the accumulation of talent seems to be working. Walk us through what the camp in Cleveland has been like and, and having something they haven't had in a really long time, which is expectations. Well, they're, they're, 
a lot of their season is going to be trying to manage those expectations and figure out how to deal with not being a laughing stock. Like they actually have plans for what if something bad happens? What if the expectations come crashing down? Like they, I know there's some, they would prefer everyone stop complimenting them so much. Um, you know, so I, I think that's, that's what's going to be. And also, you know, if they, um, if they end up coming out struggling, it's going to talk about how happy they are. Same old Browns. I mean, it's going to be a lot for them to deal with. They need to be ready for that if everything goes badly. Because I think the reality is, you know, they had so many positive headlines this offseason. All they really did was get their talent on par with everyone else. It's not like they have more talent than everyone. It's just right there. You know what I mean? Is their offense capable of doing what the Rams and the Chiefs were doing? I mean, is is that is that too far out of reach? Bringing in ODB and having Jarvis Landry and Nick Chubb and Baker Mayfield—I mean, is that out of bounds? I, I think it's a little early for that. You know, I think they'll right now they'll probably just be pretty good. Now, Todd Munkin's a he's a good coach. Um, I think he's going to be a really good coordinator. Freddie Kitchen is going to call the plays. Had a really, you know, did a really good job last year. Had a lot of success. But are they going to be like the you know, Kansas City and that sort of high-powered team? I, I think it's a little early for that. I just think right now they'll be very good. Should be interesting to see, man. Wish we had more time, but we had a lot to catch up with. I know you're a busy guy. Ian Rappaport, the NFL Network and NFL.com. Ian, we really appreciate it, man. Looking forward to another season talking with you each Friday. Enjoy the games this week. Thanks a lot. All right. Look forward to it, too. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me, as always. We continue on the Friday night edition of Sports Nightly. I'm Nate Rohr, and happy to be joined by Ben McLaughlin, who has safely made it to the ground and safely made it to the state of Colorado for the matchup between the Huskers and the Buffs. And perhaps most importantly, he's on time to share with us his Choices Treatment Center Big Ten picks in our Big Ten game predictions presented by Choices Treatment Center, helping people make positive choices. And first off, Benny, a bit of a rough flight for you guys, huh? Boy, yeah, the, coming down the uh, the elevation in, in Colorado, there was a thunderstorm sitting right on top of where we were trying to land, and it originally delayed us about 35 minutes to 40 minutes even getting out of Lincoln because of that storm. Uh, so we, we ended up leaving a little early. Maybe the waiting a few extra minutes might have been might have been good, but at the same time, the uh, the pilot let us know that we were the last fl- plane that they let in DIA. So it was uh, nearly disastrous. But yeah, a little bu- little bumpy, little rocky. Uh, but the important thing is everybody here made it safely and at the hotel. But uh, yeah, little adversity early on in the trip. There you go. Road games are always tests against adversity. I know uh, where I am right now. Um, the house I'm at, we are. Uh, near DIA, and you could see it clouding up, and you could start to see it get a little messy, and and I was a little worried about you guys, but glad you're able to make it in okay. All right, let's get to our Choices Treatment Center Big Ten picks, and we'll start with the 11 a.m. wave of games, and we'll start with the first Big Ten game of the year as far as a Big Ten intra-conference game, Rutgers and Iowa. Rutgers last week throttled. UMass 48-21, Iowa win at home against Miami of Ohio 38-14. Ben, how do you see this one playing out? Well, I, I see Iowa winning because Rutgers is playing. Uh, Greg and I were talking about this game a little earlier today, and uh, you know he seems he seems to think that Rutgers is 
somehow going to put up a fight. I th- I do think the spread is, is kind of lofty. I think Iowa wins by multiple scores in this one, though. Brett Whitty back at our studios has Greg Sharp's picks. Brett, what do you have? All right, well, uh, Greg was going with the same uh, thought pattern as been there. If Rutgers shows up, that's a loss. Iowa is going to win that one, says Greg. Yeah, I've got Iowa, too. The Hawkeyes a little bit better. The typical Iowa 14, 17 points, somewhere in there. Not anything too eye-catching, but they – have that game in control and and beat Rutgers tomorrow at Kinnick. Interesting game in College Park, Maryland. You talk about teams that showed out very well in the opener, and Maryland throttled Howard last week, 79 to nothing, and perhaps with that big blowout win, that's given them the the edge. The smart guys in Vegas have had them as the favorite over nationally ranked Syracuse, 11 a.m. kickoff in College Park, Maryland. And Ben, who do you see coming out with this one? Yeah, this one's interesting. You know, Maryland just put one on Howard last week, and so they're they're really ramping it up, the, the, the level of opponent. Uh, you know, Syracuse was a team that kind of came out of the woodwork last year and, uh, you know, a great quarterback in Dungy and surprised some people. Really, really had a great season, and so you know, Mo Neal's is kind of their guy now uh, with the loss of their quarterback. I'm not buying Maryland yet. Last year, they we, we saw them beat Texas early, and they 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 bounced back with a loss. They they rolled up Howard, and and I, I'm going to say history repeats itself. I think this is the first lot loss with Mike Loxley as head coach with uh, with Syracuse coming to town. As much as that uh, point spread swung, it's kind of crazy to think about. You know, Syracuse starting in the favorite and then bounced all the way to Maryland as a two-point favorite. So wonder what – Brett, what's Greg got? Yeah, Greg is uh, not riding that Terp train either. He's going to go with the team with the big, giant uh, orange as a mascot, the Syracuse Orange. <laughs> uh, I'm going with the orange as well. I, I have a tough time buying Maryland uh, settling in enough to beat this sort of opponent. I mean, you think of the tempo at which Syracuse runs, and I know Syracuse wasn't terribly impressive in their win against Liberty last week, but I, I still think Syracuse is a little bit more, maybe a 10-point win for the Orange as they knock off Maryland. So you've got Maryland at home. You also have Michigan at home, the Wolverines hosting Army, and of course, Army with their option offense, always difficult to defend. Another 11 a.m. kick. And Ben, who do you have in this one? Yeah, I'm looking at, at this game a little differently than I was in the uh, non and before the season had started. I, I thought Army would go up there and give them problems, very similar to what they did to Oklahoma last year, not necessarily thinking they were going to push Michigan to overtime, but Army's a formidable team. They're a very good team, specifically on defense and my tune has changed on them a little bit. I know you shouldn't push the panic button after week one, as I've been telling Husker fans all week. But I, I've cooled <laughs> off a little on Army, and I, I think Michigan wins this one by a couple of scores. Yeah, and I think Greg was uh, thinking along those same lines. I know we were all pretty high on Army to start the season. We had them 25 in our top 25, but Greg is going to go with Michigan uh, in this matchup. Yeah, I'm going to 
pick Michigan too. I don't. I still think it's a competitive game. I think Army troubles them, especially second week of the year, option offense. But I think in the end, Michigan wins, and this is probably a 14 to 17 point win uh, for Michigan over Army. Another interesting game in the 11 a.m. wave, really a, a kind of compelling 11 a.m. wave of games, and that's at the Horseshoe where Ohio State hosts Cincinnati. Cincinnati with a victory over UCLA. The Buckeyes last week blitzed Florida Atlantic 45-21. Yeah, this is an interesting matchup, Nate. You know, you look at these these teams and, uh, you know, I, it's, 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 hard, it's hard to imagine, you know, the, the level of consistency there um yeah I, I i'm back and forth i'm back and forth on this um my gut i'm gonna go i'm gonna go uh you're talking purdue right is that the game you're talking about oh no we're talking uh cincy and ohio state oh uh buckeyes buckeyes i've been saying buckeyes all week a lot of people think Luke Fickle is going to, you know, give them a little bit of test. That defense is better, um, but I, I'm rolling with uh, I'm rolling with the Buckeyes in this one. Justin Fields, his first big test as uh, as quarterback, though. Yeah, and Greg's going to stay uh, conference loyal here and go with Ohio State as well. I think it's a pretty competitive game, but I, I think Ohio State again wins this one. Uh, just too many athletes, too many different places. Cincinnati puts a scare into them. I feel like that's kind of a theme of this week with Army and with uh, Cincinnati against Michigan and Ohio State, but I think the Buckeyes end up winning this one. Well, Ben, you mentioned Purdue. Purdue has a matchup with SEC foe Vanderbilt after uh, Purdue fell on a walk-off field goal to Nevada last week. What are you thinking? Purdue and Vanderbilt, interesting matchup here. And Vanderbilt obviously opened with a very tough opponent um, and kind of a sneaky team in the SEC. Purdue obviously not the start they wanted with Nevada blowing that, that lead in the fourth quarter. But, um, you know, I'm going to go with the SEC here. I'm picking Vanderbilt, although Purdue's about a touchdown favorite. And, Brett, we can no longer have you say Greg Sharp's picks because he has – found his way up here to my hotel room after talk with the head coach so welcome in greg what a trip huh (laughs) my goodness it's been quite a day uh weather delays out here in the denver area so put us about an an hour off schedule that's an interesting game vanderbilt played pretty well last week against georgia but but purdue at home i think we'll have enough offense to get that one done i go with the borders but close tomorrow yeah i i think purdue ends out ends up eking out a victory i I think the Boilermakers even up the record on the air. I'm not sold on Vanderbilt uh, hardly at all, but I I think Purdue a a home winner over the Commodores tomorrow in West Lafayette. All right, 2.30 wave of games. Illinois is at UConn. Uh, The Fighting Illini taking on a UConn program that isn't in good shape right now and is only getting worse. The Illini didn't look too bad last week, 42-3 over Akron. Ben, what what are your thoughts? I think we could assemble 11 team members of the Husker Sports Network crew and give UConn a fight. So <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm gonna pick Illinois in this one and pick them big. Here's the thing, and I'm sure Cotney's going to have it tomorrow for our scoreboard. When was the last time Illinois was a double-digit 
road favorite. It's got to be – it might be back to their, Rose what, Bowl. 07 Rose Bowl yeah. team that they had. Been forever. They're going to roll tomorrow. I'm telling you, Illinois is a little bit better than some of you guys thought when we were doing the position breakdowns. I think I had them as the highest one up. I'm not saying they're a killer, but they're making some progress. They win easily tomorrow. Yeah, I think they win big tomorrow as well. I mean, hey, they – put up the big number against Akron and Reggie Corbin didn't do a whole lot uh, last week so yeah Illinois easily over UConn. Indiana a winner last week by 10 over Ball State. The Hoosiers this week hosting Eastern Illinois on a 2.30 kick. What are your thoughts Ben? Yeah Eastern Illinois don't know a whole lot about them um, but I feel confident in saying they're not going to win this football game. Tony Romo is no longer their quarterback. Indiana wins. <laughs> Wasn't that where he went? I think, I think he's an Eastern Illinois yeah, guy. That's right. correct. That That is correct. And, uh, yeah, three in a row. Indiana easily over Eastern Illinois. Uh, the Hoosiers moved to 2-0 and on the year. Other 2-30 game at Camp Randall. Wisconsin hosting Central Michigan. Wisconsin looked pretty good in a 49-0 victory over USF. And, Ben, I'm going to guess you have the Badgers. Uh, don't tell that to that Chippewa offensive lineman that was a uh, trash mouth in Wisconsin all week. But, yeah, I think the 35-point spread uh, is, is makes me a Badger lean. Me too. Badgers <laughs> big. Big. Yep, I would say Wisconsin as well. Sticking with the directional Michigan theme, Western Michigan is at Michigan State, 630 kick on BTN. Ben? Michigan State, uh, intrigued to see how their offense looks. They're only uh, – Tulsa gave them uh, little to no issues with their offense. So I'll be interested to see how Michigan State's offense looks though after a pretty putrid performance against the Golden Hurricane last week. They score 10 points, they win. And that's all they need. That defense is so good. They'll definitely do that. Spartans go to 2-0. Yeah, I've got the Spartans as well. I was a little surprised, even though they won 28-7, to Mark D'Antonio uh, was a little unhappy in the uh, media gathering, calling out his team for being soft, and yet they won by 21 over Tulsa. I think they win very comfortably tomorrow at home against Western Michigan. Penn State, you talk about a team that won comfortably. They were dominant over Ohio or over Idaho, seventy-nine to seven, in the opener. And Penn State and Happy Valley takes on Buffalo in a game that's on Big Fox. Really? All right. <laughs> How do you see this one unfolding? Big Fox, man. Yeah, uh, Buffalo is not Idaho, but they're also not Penn State. Uh, so I'm going to choose the Nittany Lions <laughs> in this one and. I wouldn't be surprised to see if the Bulls give them a little trouble, at least in the first quarter, maybe in the early second. I, I agree. I think Buffalo's a pretty quality max school. They're going to hang in this for, oh, maybe even a half, but the, but the Lions win it by uh, 17 points. But it's nowhere near the Idaho score from last week. Yeah, I'm with you guys. I, I, I might be a little more uh, enthusiastic about Penn State. I think they ended up or they end up winning this thing by 21, 24, somewhere in there. But uh, I think a, a win where they have control but maybe don't dominate. All right, final Big Ten game on the slate, 9.30 kickoff, and a fairly compelling game. Minnesota didn't exactly dominate South Dakota State last week, and then they head out to 
Fresno State to take on the Bulldogs late at night. Yeah, I, th- I think the boat's going to row just fine in Fresno, California. Although, the, you know, although it, it might be a little difficult with the heat, might might have a little fatigue uh, with those oars. But I think Minnesota wins. Yeah, I think they bounce back. They weren't overly impressive, but STSU is a quality team. Fresno uh, took it on the chin from USC last week. This will be close. This will get into the second half. Really competitive game, but I think the Gophers have enough weapons. They pull out a victory. Might be a game worth staying up for, but I'm with you guys as well. Minnesota knocks off Fresno State. And those were our Choices Treatment Center, Big Ten Game Predictions. And as we do each and every week during Husker Game Day, Ben, you get a chance to sit down with a, a Husker, and we title this the Cornhusker Conversation. What's in store for tomorrow? <laughs> yeah, we're actually going... We're going back-to-back secondary to start the year. We had Lamar Jackson in week one against South Alabama. This week, one of the stars of last week's game against the Jaguars was Eric Lee. Uh, Then backup safety, who had a couple of picks, and earlier this week gave us a few minutes. So there's just a small portion tomorrow here on game day. And it's another edition of our Cornhusker conversation, so we welcome in Nebraska safety Eric Lee. Well, uh, ready, set, go for you uh, in in game one. Had to feel the... You know, just get out there and, and play. I know the circumstances probably aren't the best with Deontay going down, but they said six, you're in, and, and here you go. How did that feel to just get out there and play some football? Uh, I mean, it felt good just to be able to help contribute for a Husker win. Um, definitely excited to make some plays. And, I mean, all around, it was just an unbelievable experience, and I'm just looking forward to working for this next week. What are the emotions of the first game? I mean, there's so much buildup. You guys are going through a long fall camp, long off season. Everybody wants to play every snap. But what's what's kind of the emotion of the first one compared to all the rest? Uh, I think the biggest thing is that we're just tired of hitting our, our teammates every play. Uh, I mean, you got to look at fall camp, and it's just a month of just grueling with the same person every day. So being able to finally go hit something different, uh, people definitely trying to bring the oomph a little more than usual. It's it's uh, kind of refreshing to be able to sit here and have this conversation with you because those first game, our fans haven't seen any of the freshmen. They haven't seen any of the JUCO guys. So that's where all their eyes go. But here we are talking to a guy who's been around a really long time. Mm-hmm. How much validation do you have you know, of everything that you've been through after you know, a few years here in the program to, to have something like that happen on Saturday? And now you're, you know, you're going to be one of the guys you know, as long as Deontay's on the shelf. Yeah, um, I mean, first and foremost, we hope Deontay can get back as soon as possible. But I mean, just like I said before, I'm just excited to help the team in any form or fashion, whether it's just being on all four special teams or just playing defense or going to corner, just playing whatever needed to help get the win. Let's go to fall camp. I mean, I know it's just a grind, and you know, after about four or five of them, you're just kind of sick of it. But what was kind of your mindset heading in after a summer? You had another year with Coach Duvall. What were you really individually just trying to focus on in fall camp to put yourself in this position right here? Um, I think the biggest thing was just getting stronger, getting faster. Um, I'm a bigger DB, so just being able to maintain that change of direction and continue to have speed on top of just putting more and more muscle on top of myself. So, I mean, Coach Strop and Coach Duval did a tremendous job with that. And I think think everyone can see the whole team just looks different physically and they look really good. You had to bounce around positions. Where did it start, you know, of the conversation of switching from corner to safety and then once you were going to make the move, the work that you realized that was going to have to go into making that switch? 
Um, I mean, we talked about it a little bit towards the end of the season last year. So, I mean, once we got back here in January, started meeting with the people that were still here, like Deontay, Markel Desmug, Eli Sullivan, Reed Carl, just start meeting with them a little more, just start watching more film, just to see how their brains work. And, I mean, the biggest thing that I struggled with initially is just motion, seeing, predicting what could happen and things like that. So just being able to learn under those guys, they've helped a tremendous amount. The other thing that's difficult, and, and I think we kind of lose perspective on sometimes, is you spent a long time in another scheme, and so they, you know, everybody coaches differently. How, how difficult was it for you to maybe, I don't want to say forget, but you know, deapply? I guess is the right word of what you've been learning, and then focus on everything else that these new these new guys are telling you what to do. Yeah, I mean, but I mean, the biggest thing that's helped is just being able to have a year two with Coach Fish, just because his techniques haven't changed. So you just being able to. I mean, I feel like last year we are just kind of learning his techniques. Now we really honing in on our craft when it come, when we were working on it this fall camp. And a lot of people aren't thinking about, oh, I should play like this or play like that. They're just naturally just playing. They're not thinking. So that kind of takes that element out of it. What's the attitude in the safety room? To me, it's so interesting. Last year we have three senior guys and, the, and two of them that have been around for forever. And then we get this new guy comes in who's the only one on the team that knows the system and Trey Neal, which was a little backwards. And now we've got a you know a whole new crop with with Deontay who you know didn't play a ton last year and Markel who like yourself has been waiting for a chance. What's kind of the the mood just in the back end right now? Um, I mean, all three of us, um, all three of us, are just excited to be out there. Uh, we're not in. I mean, we we've all had to wait our turn to make our plays, and we're just excited that it's our time to make plays, and we're just gonna capitalize on every opportunity we can. One of the most frequently asked questions for you this week is you're going back home to, to play at Colorado. Um, I know you're not from Boulder, but you know from relatively close to there. What's the feeling just going there, and knowing you're gonna have so many family and friends there watching you play football again when maybe it's it's not as easy for them to get to Lincoln? Yeah, I mean. I've 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 had people since January ask me about tickets and things like that. So I'm just excited to go back out there. Um, I'm excited to go compete against Boulder. They have a phenomenal team out there, and Coach uh, Mel Tucker's great. And I'm just excited to go out there, and then afterwards see family and friends. It'll be it'll be awesome all around experience. Nebraska safety Eric Lee two picks. His first career pick went for a touchdown. Had another pick later on against South Alabama, and heading home. He said he started uh, grabbing tickets from from people, from from teammates, for family in January because of all the requests he had. But um, his hometown is about 40, 45 minutes from Boulder, and there should be a lot of his friends and family play on, on Saturday. So happy for him. We talked about him with Eric Chenier last night on our football radio hour, and a guy that could have walked. And I think some of the coaches thought he probably would, but he stuck it out, and he was rewarded with a, a heck of a performance last week. And hard work leads itself to that. And uh, proud of him. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing maximum effort out of him tomorrow. I think this defense motivated. I think they're ready for this game. I think they have a little bit of swag to their step effort last week. And that's confidence is such a big part of any sport, and particularly in football. If you have confidence that you can stop somebody or make plays, you generally do that. And I love where this defense is coming out of week one. Absolutely. And I think, you know, for a guy like Eric Lee, made the position change and you just feel validated. You feel like what you're doing, uh, you're taking the right steps and, you know, you're not wasting away your career, changing positions and falling further and further behind in the depth chart. For him, it's, it's been the other way. Uh, you know, we're 
in Colorado and there's a lot of mountains here. He's climbed that mountain of, of getting in there and, and making a huge impact. And as Coach Shenander said, and as you said, I'm just so, so happy for him. And you love to see experienced players, guys who've been around a long time, to see their, their paths kind of turn for the positive, you know, at, at the tail end of the year. And, you know, a couple of guys that have been able to do that since we're talking about Denver. How about Andy Janovich? Yeah. You know, he's a guy that did that and was a ghost in the program for a long time and has turned himself into, you know, one of the better special teams players and fullbacks in the NFL. Very good. We'll look for that full conversation again tomorrow during Husker game day. We're back. Sports Highly here on a Friday night. Time to wrap up the show with our winners and losers of the week. Josh, lead us off. All right. Sounds good. My winner, I'm going to go to the NFL with this one, DK Metcalf, a rookie wide receiver out of Ole Miss. He was playing with the Seahawks. He had knee surgery on August 20th, but he's going to be available to play on Sunday just 19 days after he had that knee surgery. It was a minor procedure, but still, he called himself the Wolverine when talking to head coach Pete Carroll earlier this week when he said he was going to be ready to play. So he is my winner. Obviously, comes from the U.S. Open tennis semifinals last night on the women's side. Belinda Bensich. She lost the first set, but she was up 5-2 in the second and looked like uh, rallying, and then she would have had all the momentum in set three. Ended up losing that second set against Bianca Andreescu. So uh, this is a total meltdown from Bensich there. She's my loser of the week. Wow. Tough way to lose. Ouch. Uh, My winner, I'm going Michael Lorenzen from the Cincinnati Reds. Sweet. Earned the win as a pitcher hit a home run as a batter, and played center field to finish out the game. Last guy to do that? Reds, Babe Ruth. Ooh. Babe Ruth. <laughs> Not and bad I, company. I'm, I think that guy uh, was did the same thing at Cal State Fullerton, if I, if I remember I correctly. I believe you're right. And we played, we we played, played against him. Yep. Uh, my loser, Bears offense, horrible yesterday. Just horrible. You took my loser. But I'll just go with the Raiders organization. Say, the I, whole I, thing I with Antonio Brown. Yeah. I was going to go because I figured you use AB. That's what I was going to go. But, yeah, <laughs> the way that this whole thing, this has just been a, a cartoonish camp for the Raiders with Antonio Brown. And now he's going to play, according to Ian? What in the world? Just really bizarre stuff. My winner, Terry Saban, the wife of Nick Saban. He calls her Miss Terry. He got a personal foul, uh, unsportsmanlike conduct penalty in the Duke game last week. She made him run an extra 20 minutes on the treadmill as punishment for losing his temper on the sidelines. Good for Miss Terry. I love it. Right? Love it. Good stuff there. All right. We're fired up and ready. I know Husker Nation is as well. Pre-game begins tomorrow morning at 9.30 with the opening drive and followed up by Husker Game Day. That'll put a wrap on our show tonight. Thanks to Ben and to Josh and to all of you. We'll talk to you again in a little over 12 hours. Good night.